0: My name is Dr. Joshua Nabb. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition, doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christlikeness in all we do. Hi, I'm Dr. Joshua Nabb, and welcome to the 26th episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about what I believe is the defining struggle of the 21st century. Anxiety. In other words, we live in an age of anticipation, predicting catastrophic doomsday scenarios just around the corner, not necessarily experiencing the fear of actual danger in the present moment. With a God-given frontal lobe of the brain that helps us to plan and predict, the ability to do so is a quote-unquote double-edged sword. Since we live in a fallen, uncertain world, we definitely need to plan ahead. Yet, our fallen human mind can get us into all sorts of trouble, since we can anticipate many, many future catastrophes that may never come to fruition. What do we do then with this ability to anticipate and predict, often inaccurately? To get us started, I think a few questions are important to consider for 21st century Christ followers. What is anxiety? What are the symptoms of anxiety? Is anxiety inevitable and normal in a fallen, imperfect, broken world? Or is anxiety actually needed? Are there helpful and unhelpful forms of anxiety? When does anxiety become a disorder? And what are the symptoms of anxiety disorders? How are we supposed to respond to anxiety? Are we supposed to try to get rid of it with coping skills or anti-anxiety medication? Are we supposed to avoid any hint of danger ahead? Or are we to learn to relate differently to it so it does not impair daily functioning? What is the relationship between anxiety and mental and spiritual health? Another question, what is a biblical understanding of anxiety? And how might classic Christian spiritual writings have something to say about the topic? And lastly, what are some of the ways that 21st century Christ followers can respond to anxiety? Drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. So to get us warmed up here, I think a few opening quotes are helpful to capture the importance of understanding and responding to anxiety more effectively in daily life, especially for 21st century Christ followers. Several centuries ago, the famous Christian writer Thomas A. Kempis said, quote, What else does anxiety about the future bring you but sorrow upon sorrow? Some 2,000 years ago, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus famously declared, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And to offer one more quote, writing to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul stated in the New Testament, quote, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So, Overall, although anxiety may be, at least on some level, inevitable as an anticipatory emotion in a fallen, broken world, as 21st century Christ followers, we can recognize when it becomes unproductive, then pivot toward an awareness of God's providential care, that is, his good governance and caring, loving sovereignty over all of life in order to continue to walk with him wherever he would have us go. So to before, before discuss, discussing anxiety in more detail in the secular psychology literature, I'd like to offer a personal story. I could still remember what the book looked like when I received it in the mail, a little smaller-than-expected tan peach book that came to me one weekday afternoon. Simply titled, Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence, with a subtitle of The Secret to Peace and Happiness, I was intrigued, especially by the subtitle. After all, who wouldn't want The Secret to Peace and Happiness? And for a Christian, who wouldn't want it to come from a Christian author? Could this little Christian book, written several centuries ago, hold The Secret to Peace and Happiness for me as a 21st century Christ follower? Yet, how could a Jesuit Christian writer from pre modern times truly understand the remedy for the uncertainty of contemporary living? How could this author really understand what it was like for me? Given the trauma I experienced growing up, given the broken promises I experienced from my father and him leaving my mother and brother and I, and divorcing her and raising another family about an hour away in my adolescent years, how could this author truly understand my struggles? And how could this author understand my need for anxiety, given I learned early on that it helped me to anticipate future catastrophes so I would not be surprised by the uncertainties of life? Yet in thumbing through this little book, which I read in one sitting, I felt a peace like I never had before. Like the title said, I began to surrender to God's providence, recognizing that if I started with the perspective that God is infinitely good and loving, having my best intentions in mind, then moved to the reality that God is infinitely wise, knowing the best possible outcome, then moving to the reality that God is infinitely powerful, and can carry out the most loving, grandest plan. Then move to the reality that God is present with me right here and right now. With these four movements, I could let go of the need to unilaterally, on my own, use anxiety and worry as my guide. I could let go of the proverbial flashlight of anxiety, recognizing that God was lighting my path, And I did not need to do it alone. So, in other words, unlike my earthly father, I could trust that my heavenly father was holding me, guiding me, carving out a perfect path for me, even if I did not fully understand it. And even if the path that God had for me involved walking through some pain. So reading through this little book, Deeply psychological and spiritual and with so much Christian wisdom, I sobbed, feeling the release of trying to control and predict and gain a false sense of certainty, which I knew I could not ultimately gain. I let go of the false sense that I could problem solve my way out of a broken world on my own and create perfect safety. So the solution to anxiety and worry, I concluded, was to see it as a signal that alerted me to my struggle with uncertainty and need to pivot toward resting in God's providential caring arms. So, in other words, the solution to anxiety for me was to recognize what it is in a fallen, broken world, which is a signal then recognize my need to trust in God as I walk and talk with him on the roads of life. God provides the safety and security and control that I need, and I can let go of my own efforts, which don't work anyway. So to make peace with anxiety and the accompanying worry, for me, means that I realize it may never fully go away since it is a reverberation of early life brokenness and living in an imperfect, unsafe, and uncertain world. Yet, when I feel anxious, which is inevitable, I can acknowledge it, then gently pivot to a perfect God who offers infinite goodness, wisdom, power, and presence right here and right now. There's a deeper peace and freedom that comes from letting go of our unilateral efforts to control and predict and plan all the things that we simply cannot and to trust in God as our benevolent Father. Fast forward to the present day and I still feel anxious on a daily basis. Yet I can recognize the utility of anxiety. It does serve a a function then invite God to be with me in the midst of it to soothe my uncertainty and offer me inner safety even when the storms of life rage around me. So now let's turn to the secular psychology literature for some insight into what anxiety is, its ingredients and symptoms, and what we can begin to do to relate differently to it since for anxiety sufferers, it may never fully go away. So to offer a somewhat lengthier definition of anxiety from the American Psychological Association's dictionary of psychology, it is, quote, "an emotion characterized by apprehension and somatic symptoms of tension in which an individual anticipates impending danger, catastrophe or misfortune. The body often mobilizes itself to meet the perceived threat. Muscles become tense," Breathing is faster, and the heart beats more rapidly. Anxiety may be distinguished from fear, both conceptually and physiologically, although the two terms are often used interchangeably. Anxiety is considered a future-oriented, long-acting response broadly focused on a diffuse threat, whereas fear is an appropriate, present-oriented, and short-lived response to a clearly identifiable and specific threat. So anxiety is general and anticipatory, looking out ahead. Fear is very specific and looking right in front of us. In terms of the prevalence of anxiety disorders, it's about 34% in the lifetime of adults, which includes any type of anxiety disorder, social anxiety, panic, generalized anxiety. In the context of anxiety disorders, about 13, 13% of the American adult population aged 18 to 64 will suffer from social anxiety in their lifetime, along with about 5 and 6% respectively for panic disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. More recently, survey data collected in 2019 revealed that about 16% of U.S. adults aged 18 or over reported anxiety symptoms over a 14-day period of time. So as we think about the prevalence of anxiety, anxiety disorders, anxiety-related symptoms, it's also, I think, important to think about how chronic it may be. In a 12-year study, most of the individuals with an anxiety disorder, including social anxiety, generalized anxiety, and panic, during an intake at a clinic in the first year were still suffering from many of the same symptoms 12 years later. So really what we're talking about is a struggle that probably for many people will not go away. In terms of the symptoms in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM, the symptoms of anxiety include an intense or overwhelming fear that is linked to some sort of present danger, anxiety that is associated with a perceived future catastrophe or threat, and behavioral problems that come from recurrent fear or anxiety, such as avoidance, avoiding life, avoiding public places, avoiding people. So, stated a bit more succinctly, fear is rooted in the present moment, often associated with a fight-or-flight response within the sympathetic nervous system, to prepare for immediate action in response to a current threat. Whereas anxiety involves symptoms such as worry and tension when anticipating or predicting a future doomsday scenario that may or may not come true. When considering a current or future danger, anxiety disorders differ from normal reactions to these real or imagined events in that the experience is usually excessive overreacting to -to day-to-day stressors by way of avoidance behaviors. In terms of the types of anxiety disorders, we can have social anxiety, which involves excessive fear or anxiety linked to social interactions, along with being preoccupied with being negatively judged or evaluated or rejected by others or embarrassed in public. We also have panic disorder, which includes the episodes of extreme fear which are often surprising to individuals and fairly regular in terms of the frequency or occurrence when someone experiences a panic attack they may also have other symptoms such as excessive sweating sudden increase in heartbeat thoughts about dying or losing control and extreme shaking As one more example, generalized anxiety disorder involves recurrent worry. And it's generalized in the sense that the person can worry from one topic to the next and struggle struggle to get rid of the experience of catastrophic predictions across a range of topics. Generalized anxiety disorder may also include other symptoms such as decreased energy, trouble focusing or concentrating, Irritable mood, difficulty sleeping, and a sort of on-edge feeling because of chronic worry. As we think about interventions for anxiety, anxiety anxiety-related symptoms, anxiety disorders, many newer theories and interventions suggest that anxiety is not the problem per se rather anxiety is a symbol that suggests we're anticipating something going wrong. So if this is the case what what do we actually do with anxiety? What we do with it is key. So from a mental health perspective we can recognize the thoughts, feelings, motivations and behaviors that make up worry and anxiety, then relate to them with non-judgmental curiosity before being intentional about what we want to do by connecting to values or principles for living or virtues or moral behaviors to guide our path, not the anxiety, not the anticipation of future catastrophe. So rather than letting worry and anxiety bully us around, we can simply notice these inevitable symptoms, then intentionally head in a different direction, a direction that we choose intentionally. So ultimately, we need anxiety in a fallen, broken world to anticipate and predict and take action, given it alerts us to possible future challenges and motivates us to take action via the intentional values we have chosen. Yet at times... Worry and anxiety may get overwhelming to the point that we are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, social anxiety, panic, or generalized anxiety. When this happens, not only do we have the symptoms, but our daily functioning may be impaired in family life or work life or community life or church life or other areas. And so when this happens, we may need a mental health professional to help us through, to walk alongside us as we learn to relate differently to anxiety. And this is actually where we're at in the secular clinical psychology literature, that we often turn to mindfulness meditation as a way to relate to anxiety and worry with non-judgmental awareness rather than allowing it to get in the way, serve as a blockade to us living out our values and pursuing the goals in life that we would have. So where there is anxiety-related symptoms, we may, through mindfulness meditation, simply learn to notice them with a non-judgmental, even maybe compassionate curiosity. There's rapid heartbeat there's sweaty palms, there's sort of an on-edge feeling, there's worry, and then pivot towards, gently pivot towards some other area of focus, such as our breath. Oftentimes, mindfulness of breathing has been used really to calm us, to tap into the parasympathetic nervous system by slowing down our breathing, which really convinces our brain that we're not in danger. And so just focusing on our breathing, and then when we notice we're experiencing anxiety-related symptoms or worry, we're acknowledging them with non-judgmental openness, and then gently pivoting back to our breathing. And just focusing on our breathing, the air going in and out of our lungs, in and out of our nostrils, the expanding and constricting of our diaphragm, and this helps us to really pivot towards another area of focus or avenue of awareness. And of course, mindfulness meditation comes from the Buddhist tradition. So for 21st century Christ followers, we have our own tradition, even though there's been a lot of evidence, empirical evidence, research support for the idea that mindfulness can help with anxiety and worry. As Christians, we have our own tradition to draw from, so I'd like to shift now toward a Christian understanding of the topic today, anxiety. In the Bible, worry, fear, and anxiety are mentioned several times. As one example in Joshua, we famously read, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the New Testament, Jesus tells us not to worry in Matthew. And Philippi- Philippians via Paul tells us not to be anxious and instead petition God with our requests. Anxiety is also used in the context of the story of Mary and Martha and Luke, wherein Jesus says that Martha is anxious about many things, whereas Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and has chosen the preferred approach in his presence. 1 John 4.18 tells us that the antidote to fear is love. And as one more example, in 1 Peter 5.7, we read that we need to cast all of our anxieties on God since he cares for us. So as these verses, among others, reveal God is with us, loves us, and is caring for our needs which means we can pivot from our own worries, fears, self-preoccupations, and anxieties to God as a benevolent, loving, responsive parent who is with us in a fallen, broken world. As we examine the Bible more specifically, according to William Barclay's New Testament words, the Greek word merimna, M-E-R-I-M-N-A, captures care, thought, or anxiety. Regarding this word, Barclay powerfully declares, quote, it is very important that we should correctly understand the meaning of this word, because the whole Christian attitude to life and to living depends on a correct understanding of it. So in classic Greek, it can simply mean to be occupied with in ordinary Greek it can be used to describe a man thinking about his work or a philosopher puzzling about his problems. Continuing on with Barclay, in this life there is quote a care and an anxiety which is at a right which is a right and an honorable thing. And there's a care and an anxiety which is a distracting a distressing and an evil thing. So overall in the New Testament according to Barclay there's a right and a wrong anxiety similar to there being a healthy, helpful anxiety and an unhealthy, unhelpful anxiety that impairs functioning, mentioned in the contemporary secular psychology literature. In terms of the wrong type of worrying anxiety, Barclay mentions a few. Too much involvement in the affairs of the world, worrying about the future, Worrying when we expend too much energy on non-essentials like Martha in the story of Mary and Martha in Luke's Gospel. Overly worrying about how we're going to face the oppositions and trials which come from daily living. And worrying about pleasing the wrong types of people. In terms of the right type of Worry and anxiety, we should be preoccupied with being responsive to brothers and sisters in Christ, Christian communities, building up Christian communities. We we should care for those in need. And Barclay says that the cure for worry, quote, is the realization that we are not left to handle life alone. We face it with God. And consistent with 1 Peter 5.7 and Philippians 4.6, The cure for worry is to, according to Barclay, cast oneself and all things upon God. So turning now to the classic Christian spiritual writing, trustful surrender to divine providence providence again, given the emphasis is on learning to trust in God and his providential care, since he is infinitely loving, wise, powerful, and present. This means we... He wants what's best for us, knows all possible outcomes, has the power to carry out the best possible outcome, and is present with us to see us through no matter what arises in the here and now. So he's a loving, active, and personal God, not an apathetic, stoic, passive, impersonal deity. With this in mind, the author of Trustful Surrender states we can meditate on God's faith, hope, and love, the three theological virtues, in order to deepen our ability to trust in God's divine providence in the midst of cares so that we are letting go of the wrong kind of worry and instead learning to recognize that a benevolent, loving God is in control. In terms of my own research and writing I've historically defined Christian worry which gives rise to anxiety as quote the unsuccessful human attempt through our own mental efforts to be certain about an uncertain future because of our struggle to believe in trust and surrender to infinitely loving wise and powerful the infinitely loving wise and powerful care of a perfect god and several years ago, I conducted research among Christian college students and found that positive views of God's providence were linked to lower reported worry. And also Christians who reported they used surrendering to God as a coping skill reported less worry. So this research suggests that there is a relationship between positive views of God's providence and less reported worry. And a positive relationship between, I'm sorry, a negative relationship between surrender and worry, meaning that the more likely we are to surrender to God as a way to cope with life's adversities, the less likely we are to report worry. So now I'd like to pivot to a three-step process that's mentioned in Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence, which I've also researched in my own writings and and research projects and found that really Christian contemplative practice, building on the theme of trustful surrender to divine providence, can be helpful in responding differently to anxiety and worry. So in this famous work, this Jesuit work from several centuries ago, the Christian author presented a three-step strategy to surrender to God's providence on a daily basis. So over the next few minutes, try to find a quiet environment free from distractions and sit up straight in a supportive chair. If you can, rest your hands on your lap with your Palms facing upward to symbolize your willingness to consent to God's active, loving presence right now and give Him your worry and anxiety about the cares of the world. And as you engage in this practice, you will be practicing God's presence with the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, as you humbly strive to rest in God's sovereign, benevolent care and and let go of unilateral attempts to worry and be anxious about the future, about possessions, about people, or anything else that gets in the way of resting in him. And so as we begin, I'll be reading from the classic Christian spiritual writing, Trustful Center to Divine Providence, and integrating some of my own instructions for us to gently pivot from worry and anxiety to basking in God's goodness during this time. So first, begin to gently, slowly, and interiorly recite the word faith. Quote, commit to having faith in God's providence. Meditate well on the truth that God's continual care extends not only to all things in general, but to each particular thing, and especially to ourselves our souls and bodies, and everything that concerns us. Nothing escapes his loving watchfulness, our work, our daily needs, our health, as well as our infirmities, our life and our death, even the smallest hair on our head, which cannot fall without his permission. Now begin to gently recite the word hope. Commit to a hope that God will see you through, regardless of the situation. Quote, Excite yourself a firm trust that God will provide for all you need, will direct and protect you with more than a father's love and vigilance, and guide you in such a way that whatever happens, if you submit to Him, everything will turn out for your happiness and advantage, even the things that may seem quite opposite. End quote. And as the third theological virtue, gently recite the word love. Quote, show your deep love and attachment to divine providence as a child shows for its mother by taking refuge in her arms. Say how highly you esteem all his intentions, however hidden they may be, in the knowledge that they spring from an infinite wisdom which cannot make a mistake and supreme goodness which can only wish the perfection of his creatures. Determine that this feeling will have a practical result in making you ready to speak out in defense of providence whenever you hear it denied or criticized. Again and again, faith, hope, and love we're putting our faith in God's providence, we are hoping in God's providence, and we love God's providence and trust that God has a plan for us, is working things out for the good, and cares for all of his creation, including us in this moment. And as this time comes to a close, commit to gently reciting these three words, faith, hope, and love, throughout your day. Imagining letting go of your own efforts to worry, which gives rise to anxiety, and instead commit to surrendering to God's providential care from moment to moment. Faith, hope, and love. Notice the worry and anxiety, then gently pivot to these words and what they mean in the context of God's providence. Faith, hope, and love. So to summarize, anxiety and worry are signals in a fallen, broken world. On their own, they can alert us to future danger. However, they can also, as Christ followers, let us know when we're putting our cares in the wrong things, as well as let us know when we need to pivot towards trusting in God's providential care. Therefore, we can use contemplative practices like we've just done, especially the insights from trustful surrender to divine providence and meditating and contemplating on the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love to recognize our worry, anxiety, and preoccupations and then gently surrender to God's protective, active, loving care. In so doing, We're duly learning to relate differently to the inevitable worries and anxieties of this world and deepening our relationship with and trust in God who resides at the center. Please continue to join me for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.